With the fall of Kabul and, and the takeover of the Taliban, we saw pretty much any space for Christians to practice their beliefs was erased. Hello and welcome to the USERF Spotlight podcast, a weekly podcast series by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, where we take a deep dive into religious freedom conditions around the world, breaking the situation down for you. Each week, we focus on a different country, region, or topic. Not only do we analyze and explain the religious freedom situation to our listeners, but we also make policy recommendations to the United States government in order to address the immense challenges we bring to light here. Now here is the host of our show, USERF Director of Outreach and Policy, Dwight Bashir, to lead today's discussion. Welcome to USERF Spotlight. Since its inception, the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom has advocated for the fundamental right of freedom of religion or belief for people of all faiths or none around the world. According to the Pew Research Center's most recent global data, Christianity's diverse set of traditions compromised the single largest religious group on earth of some 2.3 billion people, or nearly one third of the world's population. Christians are represented on every continent and among every major ethnic, racial, and national community around the globe. And yet it's plainly uh, evident throughout our reporting at USERF that many Christian communities uh, around the globe face a wide range of hardships for their faith, from social marginalization to government harassment, to imprisonment, to mob violence, and even death uh, because of their beliefs. Uh, just this past weekend, Yusuf published an op-ed in the USA Today on the global persecution of Christians on the occasion of Easter, one of Christianity's most sacred holidays. And we've just concluded Easter week and have Orthodox Easter being observed just uh, this coming weekend. We're happy to have joining us today Isaac Six, Director of Advocacy for Open Doors USA, an NGO that advocates on behalf of persecuted Christians around the world. Isaac, welcome to USERF Spotlight. Thanks, Dwight. Glad to be here. And in fact, uh, you know, our conversation today is a bit of a welcome home as Isaac is a former staff member uh, with USERF a few years ago. So we're glad to have him join us today. And in January, Isaac Open Doors released its World Watch list for 2022, which discusses and ranks countries where Christians face severe religious freedom conditions. I noticed uh, that Afghanistan is now at the top of your list this year as the worst place in the world for Christian persecution. What sorts of conditions are Afghan Christians facing to prompt this ranking? That's right. It was a, a major change on our list. And this report is something that we've done for almost 30 years at this point. And the methodology has been fairly consistent for the last 20 years. And over the course of the, that 20 years, North Korea has consistently ranked as the number one uh, country for persecution of Christians. But last year, our reporting period covers up into October of 2021. Last year, we saw a really severe drop in conditions in Afghanistan. And that's the result of several different things, but primarily the fall of Kabul uh, to the Taliban. And I should stress, conditions were already difficult. Afghanistan was number two on the list for a very long time. But with the fall of Kabul and the, and the takeover of the Taliban, we saw pretty much any space for Christians to practice their beliefs was erased. And so uh, that comes in the form of a lot of different um, uh, issues, but primarily you have 
the Christian community is primarily made up of converts from Islam. And so there's already a general issue of stigmatization that happens uh, where family members and employers can discriminate against individuals who've converted from Islam to Christianity. Um, the, the size of the Christian community is very, very small. And we know that when Kabul fell and the Taliban took over, uh, they obtained a lot of information uh, about the, the Christian community. They began asking a lot of questions. We know that they went door to door in some cases, that they've pressured family members to reveal if, if any have converted uh, to Christianity. And Christians, essentially, I mean, Christian men face execution if identified and caught. Uh, women and children may be forcibly converted or, or, or forced into a, a Muslim marriage. Um, so much of the community has fled uh, either to rural areas or refugee camps in neighboring countries. And I think we can summarize as pretty much the very small number of practicing Christians who remain in the country have either been displaced or forced into hiding. Yeah, uh, definitely in dire situation and tracks with what we've been seeing, too, um, for Christians and for other vulnerable minorities in Afghanistan. Uh, one other aspect, you know, we've we have expressed uh, uh, our dismay uh, was uh, when the State Department dropped Nigeria uh, from uh, its uh, CPC list, although we've recommended its designation as a CPC for many years. Um, and we were shocked to see that happen uh, this past year after being uh, put on that list in 2020. And Open Doors has Nigeria listed as number seven on your world watch list. Can you describe the current situation for Christians in Nigeria? And what are the who are the chief actors uh, who uh, are persecuting them and how they face discrimination? Right. Well, Nigeria is and we really appreciate USERF's recommendations on Nigeria. They've been a key part of the advocacy work that we do. Uh, Nigeria has consistently worsened. It's gone from about 14th on our ranking back in 2018 to 7th, as you mentioned today. And that's really a result of direct violence. Our, our, our report measures a lot of things, including pressure in, in community life and family life. But we also, of course, measure direct incidents of violence. And uh, the vast majority of the violence we see that's targeted at Christians based on their religious identity takes place in Nigeria, uh, especially the lethal types of violence. And so of the 5,800 or so individuals we documented who were killed because of their identity as a Christian in the world last year, 79% uh, of those killings, about 4,650 of those were recorded in Nigeria. And so it's a it's a really destructive, um, terrible situation. And the the drivers behind it are complex. It's a combination of uh, you have some extremist groups like Boko Haram and Islamic State West Africa Province, uh, who have very clearly stated in a lot of their propaganda material that they do not like uh, Christian communities, that they have uh, a, a desire to drive them out of the areas that they're in. Uh, these groups have also exacerbated long-running tensions between uh, Fulani herders and Christian farmers who are fighting over the use of, of land for their, their cattle and for crops. So you have all of these things playing into it. And uh, the results, uh, you combine this with sort of a lack of protections for these communities, very slow responses from federal and state governments in terms of security, and it just leads to some very deadly clashes. So I think the biggest concern we have with Nigeria from a policy perspective, you mentioned, you know, the Nigeria falling off the special watch list and, and kind of a 
seeming unwillingness to, to designate Nigeria as a country of particular concern, I think there's this debate over whether or not religion is a factor in the violence that's happening. And we would say from the evidence of many, many eyewitnesses and testimony, as well as the stated intentions of some of the groups driving the persecution, that there's clearly a religious dynamic and a desire to suppress religious freedom for particular communities, including the Christian community. And so um, that, that's what we try to convey to policymakers is there's a religious element that needs to be addressed, including from the U.S. side. Indeed, and that definitely tracks again uh, with our analysis for a long time. There are those who really don't want to acknowledge the religious element of uh, conflict and persecution, but uh, we've been tracking that for, for two decades. Uh, I remember a visit in 2004 and seeing it up front and center uh, there, and yet, um, you know, some somehow there are some that don't acknowledge that. Um, Although this isn't uh, uh, this isn't specifically part of your Open Doors uh, World Watch list for 2022, obviously much of the world's attention is focused on Russia's invasion of Ukraine over the last couple of months now. And in fact, this last month, we featured a, a couple of uh, spotlight episodes on Ukraine and the religious angle there and some of the impact already on religious freedom. Uh, I was wondering if Open Doors has been tracking any specific challenges that Ukrainian Christians uh, might presently be facing in light of uh, the invasion by Russia? We are. And, you know, this is a, a very new development for us. You know, uh, the Ukraine is moving from a country where uh, a lot of the communities we work with were being supportive of the of their Christian uh, counterparts in the countries we typically work in to a country where now we're having to watch for persecution. Uh, we are in regular communication with a lot of the Christian communities in Ukraine. Uh, I, I may be stating the obvious here, but obviously regular religious life has been suspended for many of them. Um, you know, uh, various religious leaders and Christians and Ukrainians have been drafted into the military for, for the, the fight against Russia. Um, obviously, uh, the church community, both in Ukraine and in surrounding countries, is heavily engaged in the humanitarian assistance aspect of this. Uh, I mean, a personal anecdote, my, my parents are, are Christians based in, in Budapest in Hungary and have had um, Ukrainian refugee families living with them since the start of the conflict. Uh, and there's just sort of an endless need for supplies, materials and, and, and housing. So uh, that's kind of sort of rallied a lot of Christian communities across various branches and denominational spectrums. Um, but more related to the religious freedom concerns, we're, we are very aware that there have been serious incidents uh, in the past. In 2014, we saw the targeting of um, evangelical Christians in Crimea and eastern Ukraine by militia groups that were closely associated with Russia. And unfortunately, there is a religious aspect to this uh, that's that's dividing the Christian community. And so um, we're very aware of it and we're urging all sides to to not uh, allow religious discrimination to become a part of the conflict. And so, but it, it's something we're watching closely and we're, you know, we're, we're sure there probably will, there will be incidents and uh, there will be need for pushback. And uh, apart from some of these places that we've discussed, um, are there some countries that uh, from the world watch list that you would uh, want to focus on a highlight here? Um, it's safe that where there's been significant deterioration, we, as we already talked about in Afghanistan, are there others that you'd want to highlight? Or for that matter, where you've seen improvements uh, in recent years? And, and what are some of the driving factors uh, behind these kinds of changes, whether um, in, the, in the negative direction or the positive direction? 
Sure. I think I, in terms of deterioration, I would I would highlight China specifically. It's because it's a, a major con- concern for us for a number of reasons. Um, it's dropped from number 43 on our list in 2018 to 17, which gives you a sense of where conditions were, at least for the Christian community and, and, and where they've gone since. And uh, it's just drastic, the change. I, I think we've seen sort of tolerance for any type of sizable gathering of Christians. You used to have communities that could meet um, several hundred or even a few thousand individuals, both uh, officially recognized churches that the government recognizes and what we call underground churches, which are not recognized or registered with the government, were able to meet. Um, That's completely evaporated even before COVID restrictions were, were put in place. And then with COVID restrictions, communities like in many parts of the world were were asked to meet online. And uh, what what we saw in China was the shutdown of a lot of the online services. And so these churches would meet online, um, but the government would send people to join the meetings and uh, occasionally shut down the meetings or harass those who participated in the meetings. And so even, even the online space uh, being close to members of the Christian community is a is a newer development that's pretty alarming, and it ties into our bigger concern, which is the use of technology uh, to suppress religious freedom. And China really seems to be leading the way with this technology, both in the Xinjiang region, especially. Of course, we see the the mass suppression of religious freedom for Uyghur Muslims, and uh, these same bits of tech that are used uh, are are being slowly utilized, maybe not in as systematic of a way, but are slowly being utilized against other communities. Uh, in fact, we just had the first known Christian detainee of the uh, re-education camps in, in Xinjiang uh, who escaped just come to the United States and is hoping to share testimony both with the U.S. Congress and also the International Criminal Court on, on what happened there. But there are a few Christians who are caught up in the, uh, the issues in Xinjiang. But all that to say that the, the use of technology there, both from facial recognition to centralized databases and applications on phones, um, is, is really, really difficult for the average person to evade. Uh, it means you know, whereas before you might have been able to sort of hold gatherings in secret, that's becoming increasingly impossible. You can't even hold gatherings online without being tracked. And so it's a, a new phase, we think, of, of restrictions uh, that could really mean a, a new level of suppression of any kind of religious activity. So so China is a major concern. Um, there are some bright spots, I'd say. Uh, we did see a reduction in targeted violence of Christians in Iraq and Syria and Egypt. We're still analyzing the trends behind that. It could be a temporary phenomenon due to to COVID regulations and and just the the pandemic restricting activity generally. And so, but we're we're glad to see it either way. We'd like to see what's behind that and and hope that it continues. Uh, I think Sudan is a point that many have mentioned uh, probably on this podcast, but somewhere we we were very hopeful for with the, the civilian transitional government that had come in, the dissolution of apostasy laws and other pledges towards religious freedom. Obviously, that situation is is very dynamic and changing, and it seems to be very much at risk. So we're concerned about that. But um, Sudan was definitely a point of hope. Uh, and then last I'd mention is Uzbekistan. I think that's a uh, an example where positive diplomacy has really worked well uh, to strengthen ties and encourage officials at both federal levels and local levels to, to protect religious freedom. You know, we, we have not seen any arrests. It used to be commonplace for members of various Christian denominations to be arrested or, or pulled in for questioning. Uh, we haven't seen any arrests of Christians or haven't documented any, any arrests of Christians since November of 2018, um, which is a very positive change and, and one that we hope continues. So 
uh, I think the takeaway from all of that is 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 that you know positive engagement, positive diplomacy is a very key aspect of improving conditions, and it, it goes hand in hand with other tools that are available to the U.S. government. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, we just had our first uh, official uh, commissioner level delegation to Uzbekistan uh, just recently. So the fact you mentioned that and seeing obviously. For a long time, uh, engagement there, but also some uh, efforts uh, by that government, and certainly China also resonates with us. There, that long arm there, their technology is impacting a range of uh, uh, religious minorities, the Uyghurs, the Christians, but also Tibetan Buddhists. Uh, we, we've heard a bit about. We had a hearing on that uh, last year, so so definitely some uh, trends that that we've been seeing as well. Uh, finally, I wanted to get your take, uh, Isaac, on ways in which. Uh, from the open doors perspective, the U.S. government can be uh, more helpful to alleviate the suffering of Christians around the globe. What are some of your top level recommendations for U.S. policy on ways in which the U.S. could most productively and effectively advance religious freedom for Christians and others uh, in dire need? Yeah, I think there's three that we really consider our top priorities. And I should, as context, say that we really do believe in both there are punitive measures that can be taken, but there's also positive measures. And we think it's important to combine both. You know, the, the goal isn't simply to uh, name and, and shame and, and, and cause embarrassment. Uh, there's going to be a lot of focus on that from um, various members of the NGO community here. And, and that's a component. But uh, we also you know, think that uh, countries should there should be work to get countries off of the CPC list and, and some of these other tools. So I, I say these recommendations with that qualification um, that we would believe in both positive and, and punitive sort of measures. Uh, the first one, I, I don't think this is a, will come as a surprise to anyone at USERF, but we'd really love the U.S. government to see the full implementations of the provisions provided for under the International Religious Freedom Act and specifically sanctions related to country of particular concern status. As you will know, uh, this the act is we're coming up to 25 years since the passage of the act and and all, almost never uh, has has any administration fully utilized the CPC designation countries that are sanctioned or are named as countries of particular concern uh, the the sanctions are double hatted with other existing sanctions and I think we think it would send a very strong message if administrations started to specifically sanction on the basis of a religious freedom via religious freedom concerns and CPC status. And so that needs to happen. Um, it hasn't happened under various administrations for too long now. So that, that's one thing we, we continue to raise. Uh, a newer one, and you would have, I'm sure, noted that uh, and supported that uh, I, I think you served at least accommodation for this, but Global Magnitsky Act has been permanently reauthorized. Uh, we also applaud that, and we think that provides some special powers and tools uh, for the administration to look at uh, those who are responsible for religious freedom violations and to hold them accountable. We'd like to see a much more robust system and mechanism in place for tracking that and, and, and utilizing that system. It's been used well so far, but there's probably a lot of space to grow. And then uh, the last one we'd really like to see is, is for just uh, a little bit more intentionality from the U.S. government and the federal government on uh, when with U.S. embassies and consulates. It's very helpful if foreign service officers have uh, ongoing uh, trust, trusting relationships with religious communities. We found that when our postings and our foreign service officers overseas maintain those relationships, it makes addressing issues much easier. It's sort of a patchwork right now. There's a lot on the plate of foreign service officers who are working on many different things, 
Uh, some maintain good relationships with, with religious communities. Others don't have any relationships at all. And so we really encourage U.S. embassies and consulates overseas to develop and maintain those relationships. Uh, and that will help us address the, the issues as they arise. Well, thank you. Very helpful um, thoughts and recommendations there. Uh, but we'll have to leave it right here. I want to thank uh, Isaac Six of Open Doors USA for discussing some of the most pressing concerns facing Christians around the world. And I urge our listeners to check out Open Doors' uh, World Watch List online at uh, www.opendoorsusa.org. You can find USERF's reporting on the countries we've discussed today, several of them, along with our latest policy recommendations on our website. As always, thanks for tuning in today, and we'll see you next time on USERF Spotlight. To learn more about USERF and about global religious freedom concerns, visit usurf.gov. That's U-S-C-I-R-F dot gov. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at USCIRF. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week for another USERF Spotlight.